0: As we come now before the very Word of God, if you'd like to read along with me, we're approaching here the end of 1 John 5, so we'll be again in 1 John chapter 5. But before we read, would you please pray with me? Our Lord... your word tells us that if any of us lacks wisdom we should ask God who gives generously Lord we ask for wisdom because we know we lack it on our own help us now to attend to the wisdom of your word with listening ears with ears that hear, eyes that see and hearts that want to follow after you your ways are good And you are good. So would you work this now in us by your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This is 1 John in chapter 5. We'll begin um, in verse 13 and read a number of verses. 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. We know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. This is the Word of God. Now, this week I had to make a bit of a pivot. That happens to me, too, as I sit under the Word of God. I thought and expected that today we would be looking at what's going on with the sin that leads to death and the sin that does not lead to death. Those are interesting, challenging things, and we will get there. I'm not skipping over that. I hope I will get to it next week. But as I was preparing for those things, I soon realized uh, that those are set within a larger context that we needed to address first, and that context is big enough that it would have to require its own sermon. So today, we will be looking at the context of prayer, particularly, a particular kind of prayer, what we call petitionary prayer. It's a fancy way of just saying, asking our requests of God. So we remember uh, that, that one of John's goals in sending out this letter, as he did, was to give us Christian confidence And last week we got to lean hard into the best of that confidence where we looked at the doctrine of assurance from the first part of this text that that we who believe in Jesus can know, can really know that we have eternal life in Jesus. We can know that with a sure confidence. This text now that flows out of that uh, shows us how that confidence extends into our prayers, into the things that we ask God. There's a bold statement in here that if we ask God, He hears us. And if He hears us, we receive our requests. Now, how can that be true? I mean, if you have prayed at all, you know that there are clearly many, many times where we do not receive from God what we ask of him. We may not receive the healing that we prayed for, the job that we prayed for, the shelter and safety from the storm that we prayed for, the win in the football game that we prayed for, I mean, after all, both sides are praying to win, and not every game ends in a tie. Somebody is not going to receive that prayer. So I I once met a woman who said, I have a friend who has always received every prayer that she asked of God, 100% of the time. And she was just amazed by that. And my thought was, wow, that lady gets better results than even Jesus got when he prayed. You know, Jesus, when he was in the garden before he was crucified, prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. And we know that what he asks to have this cup removed doesn't happen. He doesn't receive the request that he asks in that mysterious moment. Now, some people will just quick to give this kind of trite comeback. Yeah, but God always answers. God always answers prayer, either with a yes, a no, or a wait. And maybe that's true, but that doesn't really resolve our tension here. John doesn't say that we have an answer to our prayer. He says that we have the requests that we've asked that we're actually given what we've asked. How is that true? We recognize that John, over the course of his whole letter, speaks in really big black and white terms. He does this a lot when he discusses all the big themes. He talks in terms of light and dark, life and death, love and hate, truth and lies, Christ and antichrist, he divides things black and white, similar to the way our kids ask when we watch a movie, is that a, a good guy or a bad guy? You know, there's no medium guys. They're either good guys or bad guys. That's not to deny, that, nor is John saying that, that life doesn't have lots of occasions with nuance and complexity and gray area. It's just to see that there are broad, generalized principles to be had there, and those principles can often be helpful. So in the broadest black and white terms, With a prayer that is offered in faith When we ask God God hears And God gives The request That's not to say He will absolutely grant everything 100% of the time But in the big picture It's really true That God is not stingy Or greedy with his gifts He is lavish and generous to give us life and all that we need for life. Now, God's generosity in this is not to lead us to try to exploit him with our prayers, nor do we want to become flippant or foolish in our prayers. We just want to come, come to him in our prayers with petition, with an ask. So there are three characteristics of petitionary prayers here that I think will help and guide us. We'll look at those three. The first is this our prayers are to be candid. Candid. I'll unpack what I mean in a moment, but look in verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. There is to be a sort of confidence. In our prayers. Now, that confidence, we know we can either miss the mark by making our confidence too little or too much. Some people have too little confidence, underconfident, as they pray. They think they're bothering God. There's at least that sense of it. Oh, he's busy. He has more important things than to hear about my little life over here in the corner. A person who is underconfident in their prayers will speak softly or timidly before God if they speak before God at all. On the flip side, there's people who are overconfident, who think that they can almost boss God. You name it, you claim it, you decree it. And they assume that their prayer is like some sort of a skeleton key of decree. And you can just go around, stick it in every door lock, and it's going to unlock whatever they want. No, no. We don't want either one of those things. What we want is a healthy, godly confidence. And the sort of confidence that John is talking about here has less to do with mm. boldness than it has to do with openness. When he's talking about confidence, he's talking about openness. So let me show you what I mean by that. When Jesus is about to go to visit his friend Lazarus, you know, the guy who dies and comes back to life at the hand of Jesus, Lazarus had been very sick. And Jesus is in a different area, and he gets word of this, and he initially tells his disciples, he says, Lazarus has fallen asleep, Jesus says. And the disciples go, Well, if he's fallen asleep, that's good news. He's going to recover. And then Jesus clarifies, no, I mean, Lazarus has died. And then the author, John, tells us that in this, Jesus spoke plainly, spoke openly by saying he's died. It's not veiled, it's not a euphemism. He's now speaking freely, clearly, candidly. And in the letter of John, we're told that in our prayers to God, we are to speak candidly, too. With that sort of openness. So as Jesus was teaching his followers to pray, in what we now call the Lord's Prayer, before he gives them the Lord's Prayer, he reminds them of a short, simple truth. He says, Your father already knows what you need before you ask him. And he says that not to discourage our prayers, but to actually encourage our prayers. He already knows what you need before you ask. So do you need to ask something embarrassing? He already knows. Do you need to ask something shocking? He already knows. You need to ask something desperate? He already knows. You need to ask something selfish. He already knows. There's no point in trying to hide it or mask it or dress it up. We don't need to find pretty words or many words or magic words in our prayers. Our prayers can and should be candid. We don't need a workaround for them. A God who could be tricked into granting our request by just a few clever words on our part, that would not be a God worth praying to. But our God is not like that. We can pray to him with candid, open honesty. That's the first characteristic of our prayers, it's to be candid. The second is this, our prayers are to be yielded, Yielded. We know that confidence is not the same as cockiness. Those are two very different things. We never want cockiness in our prayers. There's a, a sort of humbleness, a sort of submission that comes with a prayer that's offered up according to His will. And that's what we're told to do here at the end of verse 14. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So we're to yield to God's will as we ask. This yielding to God's will is to be the posture of our prayers. It's not about the formula of words that we might say. We want this posture of humility, but but it does help us to adopt a humble posture in praying if we actually say the words according to your will or something like that. You know, that's even in in the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus taught us to pray, you know this, we say it every week together. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying for God's will to be done. Now, listen. Praying for God's will to be done in the Lord's Prayer is often misunderstood. We are not asking for God to do his will. We are not saying, God, go ahead and do whatever it is that you want to do anyway. As if he needed some sort of permission from us to do that. We are asking for God's will to be done and carried out on earth in the same way that his will is done in heaven. Which means we need to change where we put the pause in that prayer You know, a lot of times when you hear people pray it, maybe you do it this way too, we say, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Those last pieces all come together. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That comes as a package. In heaven, God's will is carried out by all of his heavenly host carried out with eagerness and gladness and in full submission to God's wisdom. And we want that here. On earth, we want to live out his will in that same sort of glad, submissive way. Which means, if I'm on some path, some road, and I hit a crossroad between my will and God's will, my road is always the one with the yield sign. Always. I'm never asking God to to yield his will to mine. When we prayed that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're yielding to him in submission. We don't have to know the future to do that, We don't have to know every part of the mind or plan of God that would be impossible if we had to do that, but we are to know what delights God, and we know that from what he's revealed, given to us in his word and his will. We want to know what sort of things God thinks produces joy, what sort of things produce love. What sort of things produce mercy and justice? And ultimately, what sort of things produce the glory of God? We want our prayers then, all of them, as we ask to be yielded to God above all. Let me give us an example of what that might look like. This is the real account in the scripture, at least the end of it is. Let me guess at the backstory. Let me make up some backstory to this account. Two parents, relatively newlywed, young, happy couple, and they are about to have their first child. This is an exciting time, it's a scary time. They're all sorts of nervous, busy preparing. Everybody has opinions on what the child should be named. And then the day finally gets there that the child is to be born. There's, there's the push, the cry, the pain, and then the birth of a son. And this child is beautiful. it's precious. He is the one that they've been waiting for. And then they soon see something troubling that that child is blind. And that realization is devastating. Devastating not because they love their son less or because he's broken, but just because they know that life is going to be really hard for him and for them. And these parents trust God. And so they begin to seek God's help. They pray for a miracle that God will intervene and heal this child. And and they know that God calls for persistent prayer and and to always pray and not lose heart. So they get together and they ask for God to give their son sight every day, morning and night. They pray for this and they pray for it week after week, month after month, year after year. But God does not grant that request. And years pass and that boy becomes a a man. And the hope that he would ever be able to see becomes a far distant memory that they have long forgotten to pray about. This man's a hard worker. He would love to work, but barriers in his culture make a job almost impossible. And so this blind man now has to beg for his daily food until one day that he hears a man who calls himself the light of the world comes. Here is Jesus, who puts mud on this man's eyes, and after the man washes his eyes for the first time in his entire life, he can see. And then Jesus tells him and everyone around the This man's blindness from birth had a purpose. It was according to the will of God that it happened. The purpose was not a punishment, not an oversight of God, not a mistake or an accident or someone ate the wrong food while the child was in the womb. No, the will of God is that the work of God might be displayed in him. So for this man and his family, they had no way, could have no way, of knowing beforehand that this would be the will of God for his eyes. They have to submit to the will of God as they pray, even if that man lived his entire life with his eyes never being opened. Which means this. For you, if it is the will of God that he would give some great hardship to someone you love so that he can reveal his own glory in the end. We have to learn to yield to that as we pray. And that yielding is not something we want to just do begrudgingly. Spirit, help us. Do it just because we don't have a choice God's gonna do whatever he wants. We yield willingly, trusting God's good purpose, desiring that his will be done on earth and the way his will is done in heaven. That's the second characteristic. Our prayers are to be yielded. Third, and finally, our prayers are to be asked. This is my favorite one, if I can have a favorite. Our prayers are to be asked. Now, that's not to say every one of our prayers have to have an ask. If all of your prayers have asks in them, you should examine your prayer life. You know, some of our prayers just have thanksgiving, thanksgiving. Some of our prayers just have confession. Some of our prayers just have praise. We do various forms of those prayers, even in our gathered worship here. But petitionary prayers, prayers of request, need to have an ask. And by that, I don't just mean that we need to be humble, that we're not bossing God around and telling him what to do. That's true. What I mean here is that we need a real request in the prayer. That might seem obvious to some people, but many folks don't even realize that they're missing the mark here. Most people will state their state, voice the need, something like, Lord, my friend is in trouble. Lord, something wrong has happened in the world or in our nation. Lord, I am feeling afraid or lost or stuck here. That's the prayer. And all of that may be true, but what are you asking God to do? Some prayers have an ask, but only in the vaguest, most general terms. Things like God, bless us. God, help us. God, just do your will. Some people pray those things and stop there and think they are being holy by leaving it at that and just leaving it up to God. But that's not the case. It's not that we always know what to do. We don't. But as far as we're able, we need to ask specifically. We're told in verse 15... If we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked. So how can we know whether God has granted our request unless we have asked something specific? You know, John, or James pushes on this also in his letter when he says, You don't have because you don't ask. It's not that we're guaranteed that we're going to be given every single thing that we ask, but we have to consider whether we've actually asked God or just thought we asked him. This is an important thing for us. Uh, We hear in the letter to the Philippians in chapter 4, verse verse 6, Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving listen, let your requests be made known to God do you do that do you actually make the ask you know there's a time where Jesus encounters another blind man there's tons of blind men in the gospels it seems Uh, there's another blind man who this time we get his name Bartimaeus and Bartimaeus calls loudly, repeatedly to Jesus Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Just kind of on loop over Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And people try to shush him because, well, I don't know, he's loud and maybe in the way. Uh, but this man is not ashamed, he is not deterred, he just gets louder. And eventually, Jesus stops the crowd. And calls the man Bartimaeus to himself, "Come over here, Bart." He says, "Bartimaeus, "What do you want me to do for you?" Now in that moment, Jesus can clearly see that this man is blind. He's looking him in his blind eyes. And he has heard Bartimaeus' many loud general cries for mercy. There is some sort of ask there. But now Jesus wants to hear the specific ask. Jesus says, what do you want? And Bartimaeus says, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus grants it. some of us are hesitant to pray like this, to name the real ask to God, because if I don't name it, I won't have to feel rejected or disappointed if I'm not given it. Or others don't name it because we assume it's probably selfish if I'm asking for a particular help from me. So I just shouldn't ask. I shouldn't even want it. And others don't ask and name the ask because we don't want to come off as too needy. But we are needy. I'm needy, so are you. God has everything, and we have nothing on our own. That's what a prayer of petition is at the very heart. It's an appeal, an ask for God to supply the particular need that I lack. So I'm to be candid as I pray, to speak plainly and not hide or try to divert. I'm to be yielded as I pray, to know God will always do what is right in his sight. And I'm to be sure to to make the specific ask as I pray, and actually lean into the need instead of away from it. You know there are things underneath here before we into our time of communion let me remind us just as we close here that our prayers are not just about us our prayers are more about God our prayers are not just about the asker it's more about the giver of the gifts and we ask because of what God has shown us about himself that he's not only God that he's also our our Father. That's what Jesus is getting at when he's teaching about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. He says this in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it'll be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, it'll be opened. Which one of you if his son asks for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, would you give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? For all of us who trust in Jesus, our prayers aren't just to some mystical genie in a bottle or some distant dictator on a throne. We're asking our Father in heaven who hears us. And God, our Father, is good. He is wise. He is generous. He provides for needs that we don't even know we need. He has given us eternal life in the forgiveness of sins through the body and blood of our Savior Jesus, and we didn't even ask for that. He gave it anyway. So we know then that whatever we do ask according to his will, we can trust with confidence that our Father will never withhold from us a single thing we need. Pray with me. Lord, Father, we ask, we seek, we knock that you would give us hearts that are honest and candid, spirits that are surrendered and humble as we offer up these asks to you, naming the requests of our needs. Lord, help us to see you as you are that you are a good Father who knows how to give good to your children. Would you produce a deeper trust in us? We do trust you in all of your ways that you will do according to your good purposes. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.